The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Sarah Eisen at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. We are wrapping up the month, quarter, and first half with a strong batch of news. Headline PCEs in line, lowest annual rate in two years. Futures strong as yields are down. Apple, Nike, banks, semis, and travel today on what could be a messy holiday weekend. Our roadmap begins, though, with stocks at the end of the month, quarter and half. The Nasdaq eyeing its best first half since 83 and Apple is looking to hit $3 trillion at the open. Plus, of course, uh, deal scrutiny. The FTC and Microsoft now awaiting a judge's decision, which could help decide the fate of one of technology's largest ever acquisitions. And Nike shares are falling ahead of the open, delivering what some say is a gloomy forecast as U.S. consumers cut back, overshadowing a strong recovery in China. We'll discuss it. Let's begin, though, with the markets. Uh, so far this year, all three major indices are in the green, led by the NAS, up almost 30 percent, as we said. Uh, best first half since 83. S&P closing in on 15 percent, which would be the first ha- best first half since uh, 2018. Uh, confounding a lot of people who were eyeing more uh, nefarious scenarios, say, at the beginning of the year. It jives with the biggest surprise of the year, not just that the stock market is up, but that the economy has remained so resilient and so much better than everyone thought, and that inflation remained a little bit stickier. Now, having said that, today's news, what we got, the PCE, that's the the Fed's preferred gauge, comes in better. Better if you're Jay Powell, better if you're Treasury Secretary Yellen, better if you're an investor who's hoping for the end of of rate hikes. The the main number, 3.8%, matches expectations. That's on the headline, but it's the lowest level we've seen in two years. So that's good news, better than the 4.3% prior, if you look year over year. The core, and if there's one thing I learned from all the central bankers this this week, we only should be looking at the core because they are very focused on the core. Okay. It's stripping out more volatile food and energy and that sort of thing. And it shows you why they're concerned about it, because it's higher than the headline, 4.6%. Now, it's a little bit moderated from 4.7%, so that's good, but it is still stubbornly high and higher than their forecast. And then there's the super core, which we always look at because we know Powell's looking at it. Uh, that is services, inflation, X housing and it did fall to the lowest level since July 2023. Good news, uh, about a quarter of a percent higher than it was last month. So overall, it, softer inflation is good news, but it comes in the context of better economy and higher than where they want it. And conclusions that you have from the time that you spent um, bringing us that fascinating panel? <laughs> Thanks. Well, my, the biggest takeaway, and I think this is the market takeaway as well, is that the central bankers feel that they have more work to do and they're not satisfied with the moderation of inflation, and they're not worried about recession. So for investors that are worried about recession, they've really pushed back. The European Central Bank doesn't have it in the forecast. Fed Chair Powell doesn't have it in his forecast as its potential. Here we have this delivering alpha survey of CIOs and strategists and investors that we just released for CNBC. And the recession gets pushed back. I mean, 32% say it's more than 12 months away, 26% first half of 20. Remember coming into this year, Carl, to your point, 
Everyone thought this was the year of recession. Guess what? Those odds have changed a lot. And just look at yesterday's data as a proof point where GDP, better than expected, driven by better consumer spending at 2% overall GDP. Jobless claims even came down a little bit. The numbers don't suggest recession. And, and perhaps that's why the market's cool with the higher yields. I mean, overnight, we saw a jump in the two-year yield, 4.93. That was, we're almost getting back to the highs of March. Well, and that was, I mean, some argue the highlight of your discussion with Chair Powell in particular. I know it got written up in several takes when you gave him the opportunity to tell the markets, hey, uh, remember that whole don't fight the Fed thing? I'm, I, I represent the Fed. And he literally said, that's just not how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, he seems OK with the, the fighting of the Fed. We have, we have that exchange. Let's play it. Is it counterproductive to you that the stock market has rallied, the bond market has rallied? I mean, the market is fighting the Fed. The market thinks you're, you're closer to the end. And I, I mean, that, that does make con financial conditions easier. Wasn't that the, uh... You can't fight the Fed, but they're fighting the Fed. Is that a problem? No, I don't you? see it that way. I don't look at it that way at all. Honestly, we have different jobs. You know, our job is to bring inflation down to two percent and sustain maximum employment. That's our job. That's what we think about. We look at the data, and that's what we care about. And markets react. Different parts of the market react in different ways. It's just, uh, it's just not something that is a principal focus of our work. He could have taken that opportunity and said, "Look, it's more helpful when fin financial conditions." tighten as we tighten policy if we're going to fight inflation, but he didn't. He blessed it. So, so it's kind of a green light to keep on rallying, even in the face of higher Treasury yields and potentially pushing out the terminal rate, the peak Fed funds rate, to higher places. It, it feels like the market, the stock market, Carl, is really okay with it as long as it, the yields are going up for the right reasons, which is pushing the recession out, better economic data. That's the difference between last year and this year. The other amazing thing, and since your panel was was a global one, is the split, the way in which, say, the City Economic Surprise Index for the U.S. and the Economic Surprise Index for the for Europe have just completely split. It's just two different worlds right now. Europe showing some weaker data, U.S. showing some stronger data. And, you know, while they're technically not in recession, they're obviously closer to that. And, and that is supportive of the U.S. market. Now, having said that, we did get some data overnight from Europe on, on inflation. Also shows softer on the headline, which is what the ECB wants to, wants to see. But the core, and again, I'm always going to lead with the core now, was a little bit firmer than the month before. And so the ECB has been, she's, she was more, I thought, in the panel explicit, as she has been, and blunt about what they have to do, which is keep raising interest rates. The problem is the market's been fighting them too. The European stock market hasn't had a bad first half either. It's been strong. That's all you get from me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's all I got for you on that. <laughs> I think it'll be, in, we'll get the revisions to UMISH expectations. That's always interesting. Consumer sentiment, we'll get that today. Yeah. And then we'll want to see where consumer inflation expectations are because they've come down, and that's also something good and more progress from what the Fed wants to see. And then next week, heavy, heavy data week. Heavy data. ISM, manufacturing on Monday, even though it's a half trading day, we'll get services later in the week, and then jobs. Because the key for all of this, and Fed Chair Powell said that many times, is that the job market's been humming. Even if we're starting to see a little bit of cooling, it's strong. Unemployment below 4%, wage growth still growing.
Uh, all right. One thing you will get from me is some chat about Apple here because it is going to be trading at a record high, it looks like, when we start uh, uh, trading, what, 23 minutes or so uh, from now. On track to open with a more than $3 trillion valuation. Of course, the price that it would have to exceed is 190.73. As you can see right there, it would appear we're going to open uh, beyond that. And therefore, uh, it will have more than a $3 trillion market value. You also have uh, City initiating coverage of the stock. I'll give you one guess. What do you think? Yeah, it was buy. Uh, 240 price targets, citing continued gross margin expansion. Very few out there, guys, who believe uh, or who have uh, negative views of Apple's ability to continue to navigate what some would say is a more challenging market, perhaps, for incredibly expensive uh, consumer items. Uh, of course, a lot of a focus also paid on what is the larger and larger component of their revenues that is recurring, namely those service revenues for which the market has been willing, as we said for quite some time years ago, has been willing to pay a much higher multiple. And you are getting close to you know, almost 30 times. Dan Ives, who is one of the Super Bowls we've talked to on, at Wedbush, says, in our opinion, the street has grossly underestimated the massive installed base upgrade opportunity around iPhone 14 and now the mini super cycle, he calls it, around iPhone 15 when it's released, um, ahead of the 25% of Apple's golden customer base not upgrading their phones in four years. I didn't realize the numbers were that stark. So he sees that as just a next potential catalyst. Uh, you mentioned the city initiation today. Uh, people are still initiating Apple uh, for various reasons, but they do open at 240, uh, which would be a nice bounce uh, from here, well above uh, 3 trillion. I think they, we've talked about this, David. They have hit the 3 trillion mark but not on a closing basis, that, right? Right. I mean, Ives has mentioned it as well. There is some issue in terms of whether it really was because we didn't necessarily have an accurate share count at that point. Remember, Apple aggressively buys back stock. So while we may make an assumption in terms of outstanding shares that gets you to that price or that, that market cap, it may be lower than we are, are aware of right now because they don't report that on a daily basis. Uh, that said, let's just assume we're, we're passing $3 trillion now. And yes, we may have visited it once before back in late 2022. Right. Or wait, when, yeah, it was in 2022. Um, maybe the fall. Um, you know, it, we've all made the comparisons. Bob Pisani will come on and tell us how many markets it's larger than, how many GDPs how many it's European larger countries? than. Uh, I can remember when, Carl, when we were sitting here and it passed a trillion and we thought yeah. that was a yeah. that was a moment because we had never really seen that kind of a value on a company right. before. And then you're also dealing with the name that's up, what, 50 since the beginning of the year when in a period where rates are higher than they were and they've had to migrate as much of their supply chain as they can out of China for I pick your reason, but uh, moving that area, moving that to Vietnam, moving it to India, huge structural logistical challenges, and yet the stock hasn't looked back. Uh, that's, that's a great chart, but so is the year-to-date, just a 45-degree line. And as we point out, of course, largest single holder is Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, and it, interesting, Mike Santoli pointed out yesterday, the two stocks track somewhat. Um, you know, we can talk all we want about Occidental and how they continue to accrete up a bit there at Berkshire, but really Apple is by far their largest single holding. Uh, and of course, in part because the stock has gone up so much. It was a great buy for Buffett. Even at the time, though, we sort of questioned, hmm, interesting, a guy who'd never really loved technology. He's waiting in. It was, seemed like a very simple, straightforward thesis. This is an incredible device, and I think a lot of people want to own it. And it was well, Apple's had consumer staple comparisons before. Yeah. We know Buffett's big there. 
as well. The only better performing Dow stock this year is Salesforce, up 60%. All right, with that, when we come back, we'll get to Nike uh, moving lower after posting those quarterly results last night. Some argue a big tell on the consumer, and particularly China, but may not move today the way in which it has in, in past earnings prints. Take a look at the pre-market here. A lot to get to. As Sarah mentioned, we'll be looking for Chicago PMI in about half an hour, and you miss at the top of the hour. We're back in a moment. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Marketplace remains highly promotional. And um, when we step back and look at the actions that we took last year, we're very happy with where we finished the year. In fact, our inventory levels um, are ahead of our plan and ahead of the competition. The mid-single-digit guide does reflect four points, as I mentioned, of, uh, of non-comp impacts which are partially wholesale shipment timing, because you recall last year there was a lot of late supply from 22 that came into 23, but also a little bit of extra liquidation um, as we were more aggressive moving inventory both through our own channels and our partner channels. That was Nike CEO John Donahoe on the company's earnings call last night explaining some of the, the factors that are impacting the company right now. Stocks are under a little pressure here into the open. Guys, here's, here's the headline on the quarter. It was an earnings miss, a slight miss, but still rare for Nike. And revenue beat, and they're still growing revenues 8% in constant currency, if you take out the currency effects. 5% in the key North American market, 25% in China, which is very important and bullish. They returned to double-digit growth in the quarter. Again, that's without the currency impact. Everybody was looking at the guidance here, and potentially that was why the stock is, is trading off. So they did a, a next quarter guidance and then the fiscal year guidance for the first time. And it was the next quarter that came in a little bit light. They say that revenues were going to be flat to up mid-single digits. Street was looking for more like 6%, a little bit light there. Look, this wasn't a thesis-changing quarter, if you look at all the analyst notes this morning, because they're still seeing underlying strength in the brand, the momentum. There was no talk about weakness there, especially in China, which there were some questions about, as we've seen the weaker Chinese economic data. There's some pressures on margin, as, as Donahoe laid out, because it's a promotional environment. They're still dealing with higher costs, but they've made some improvement on inventory. So every sort of bull bull argument, there's a bear argument, a bear yeah. argument, there's a bull argument on Nike, and I think that's why you're not seeing a ton of movement. Now, as somebody who comes from a household with a lot of sneaker aficionados, what about this idea that they're not selling out immediately on some of these new introductions? Is that a concern? Should it be? It, that should always be a concern. You can always judge a brand heat by sell out on the new introductions and how much they get on the second hand, on the stock X's and the flight clubs and that sort of thing. But I'm not sure that anybody's really worried about it yet and that, that there's, a, there's a big trend. They've had a lot of releases. 
as well. And Jordan in particular has done extremely well. Got a big call out on the on the call. So on pace to be the second biggest shoe brand in North America. Yeah, amazing. And they said it's underpenetrated internationally, 10 points below where it actually is in the US. So there's a big growth opportunity there. The other sort of question that investors and analysts were talking about going into this one is, are they changing the direct-to-consumer strategy? That's been the the kind of holy grail for Nike. It's why they've leapt so far ahead of competition, just selling directly in their stores and on their websites and then their sneaker app. And they made this decision lately to go back into DSW and to go back into Macy's, which they haven't been in a while. And, and they've been they've been trimming the, the wholesale clients. Right, so people right. were wondering. And, and, and I think it was important that Donahoe and the team they reaffirmed their commitment to direct-to-consumer and said that's where the growth is. Also, the numbers were good. It was up 18%. So that kind of quieted some of the concerns there. Did it surprise you that, uh, I mean, we've heard, we've heard from so many companies who have said freight costs have turned into tailwinds, SG&A up eight, right? Like, I mean, in a year of uh, where other companies are doing years of efficiency. A little I, bit. Yeah. It was a little right. surprising, yeah. right? Because we've, we've seen that um, helpful, the whole freight costs, and, and, they're, and they're still working on it and dealing with it. Nike's very global. And, you know, on the call, they said that it was starting to come down and it should be a tailwind into next year. And a lot of the more bullish analysts today are saying, look, that's, a, that's sort of a transitory or temporary headwind into next year. The bears will say that Nike's not cheap and they're still dealing with some, you know, sort of financial issues, even if the brand is in line. And if you look at it compared to a Lululemon, which is growing a lot faster and getting bigger uh, more quickly, then there's a big gap there. Right. Piper saying macro pressures on consumers, inventory congestion in the marketplace will challenge near term growth. And they're also cautious on long term margin expansion. The, the Nike still has to prove in the next year. They, they, they put out the full year outlook, and the second half is more optimistic than the first half. So they're going to they're gonna have to prove it next year. We, were, we, were, we came in economy. talking a lot about China, mm-hmm. but it was all right, right? China was all right. Yeah. It was 16% if you factor in the currency growth yeah. there. Maybe the buy side had expected a little bit better. But I think, you know, look, you're talking about Apple and the risk there for the macro economy. John Donahoe on the call as he always is, was so bullish on China. He said one of the highlights of the last 90 days was he got to go back to China and see the marketplace there and that it's looking strong and that they're seeing a lot of brand momentum. So they're, they're, they've only been doubling down on their strategy there and seeing good results, despite some of the bigger noise that we've covered around China and the economy there. Uh, Goldman re- reiterates a buy. The only thing is B of A today says it has a history of fading intraday uh, on following an earnings print, 17 that. out of the last 18 quarters. So beware on that, I guess. So we'll watch for some of the action after the bell rings. When we come back, we'll get some expectations for Tesla's quarterly deliveries, plus a look at the automaker that has sped past Ford and GM in terms of market cap. And we're not talking about Tesla in that case. One more look at the final pre-market of the first half. Squawk on the streets, back in a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
Tesla extending its strong first half gains in the pre-market. Analysts surveyed by Refinitiv estimate the company is set to deliver a record 445,000 vehicles in the second quarter, helped by increased discounts and other incentives. Of course, uh, we continue to watch. This has been a great first half story, too. The race between uh, price and margin and sort of the advantage they have structurally against the legacy automakers. They can afford to take more pain uh, than Ford and GM. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in part rising because NVIDIA and Meta, I mean, you see what the market's appetite is for large cap tech stocks, obviously. But David, you know, also there's some fundamental reasons here. The adoption of the charging stations from some of the other big competitors like a GM and a Ford, the fact that they haven't announced money price cuts in recent weeks, right? Um, and deliveries are supposed to be good. Well, deliveries will be key. Uh, some analysts will tell you that's not really the main story anymore. It's the move to full self-driving and what that is going to mean in terms of additional revenue to the company. That's something that will play out over time, and we've obviously all heard it expected to come soon, only to sort of be delayed. Um, but it is, as you say, charging. It's any number of other things that you have to take into consideration if you are going to continue to believe uh, that fundamentally this is uh, worth buying at this level. Um, deliveries, Sarah, I think are, are you know, that's the key. The, the, those who are less positive will tell you inventory is, is built up in a way that it had not been previously, whether it's the Chinese market or our own. Um, I don't know if there's a read through from Nike to people's willingness to buy a Tesla in China, where there's a lot more competition on the ground as well from the likes of BYD, for example, uh, in a market that Tesla had not quite to its own, but certainly had uh, a very dominant or certainly significant position in for quite some time. I feel like the read-through is that the Chinese consumer within China is spending on the brands that they were spending on before COVID. Right? It might, but then they, why is the economy there so weak? I mean, it's psychological damage, maybe, from being locked up for so long. They, they're not traveling as much. The export machine isn't turned off. Business profits aren't aren't as high. I mean, they're... I think that that is a mystery, right? We couldn't, we can't I mean, assume what happened in the U.S. and Europe is happening in China. They were locked down for longer. They didn't have as much fiscal stimulus. It was just a different set of circumstances. And then they were all sick when they got out because they weren't vaccinated. It was, but I think there's been a surprise at how lackluster the recovery has been. Yep. And in part, there had been an expectation of a broader, I think, consumer spend that hasn't yet happened. No, and the travel piece hasn't happened either, right. I think, which is important. And it's important for names like Estee Lauder uh, and some of the other sort of luxury makers that benefit from travel. We started the year with uh, forecasts for 7% growth this year. Obviously, that's been pulled back into the fives. Uh, last night, manufacturing PMI in China, three months of contraction at 49. That's a June number. Services was above 50, but uh, slowed again to 53.2. And then the PBOC today, uh, just reiterating that demand is not sufficient uh, for growth. So the market will be on the lookout for whatever stimulus they're going to come up with. Is it going to be enough? How much are they willing to go? And is it going to be the right stimulus to address what the problems are? You know, um, some people were talking about this study that came out in Lancet, the medical journal, back in 2020, looking at the psychological impact of COVID in China. And, and it wasn't good, you know, and the, these kids were out of school for a lot longer uh, than the U.S. They were locked down for a lot more. People were locked down. morning and the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board. It's thrift store operator Savers Value Village. 
You might remember the successful IPO yesterday. Uh, one of three that actually closed higher on the day. Up the Nasdaq, it's the Consulate General of Canada celebrating Canada Day, which is tomorrow, July 1. We got some GDP numbers out of Canada this morning as well. Pretty nice breath here filling in as we're going to zero in once again on actually above 44, uh, 22, uh, S&P, and of course Apple. Uh, we do officially now have, uh, for the first time since January 22, a market cap above $3 trillion. That's a nice 1% gain. If our Art Cashin were here, maybe he'd have a cap for it to mark the, to mark the occasion. It's historical to get a $3 trillion stock. Haven't seen it before. Uh, no, it's uh, it, even looking on your screen. It's sort of a shocking thing to see three trillion dollars next to one company. But obviously, when you make uh, as much as a hundred billion dollars in income a year, then it gets a little easier to imagine how you got there. Uh, and that's where that's where Apple is. I mean, the numbers themselves, as I sort of say, whenever we go through um, the quarter, the numbers themselves are just staggering. The size of these companies. And it's not just Apple, Microsoft as well, Alphabet, Amazon, the size of them all. Um, and certainly the case of Microsoft and Alphabet as well in terms of their profit engine is just staggering. Um, and Apple leads uh, there. And so, yeah, 30 times 100 billion, there you go. Three trillion, that'll get you there. Um, whether or not it has more to go, uh, you heard Carl mention City at 240 price target. Uh, we'll see, but there is a belief that that there is still growth to come, of significant growth to come. Speaking of large cap tech getting bigger, first half story goes to NVIDIA, which passed a trillion dollars and is the best performing stock year to date. It's up 185% and now well over a trillion dollars in market cap as the AI story has dumped. You know, you don't hear Apple being talked about as much on the AI story. They, they put out the VR, AR headset and some people see that as an incremental driver towards services revenue, but NVIDIA takes the cake, uh, followed by Meta this year, up 140% year-to-date. Unbelievable gains. And guess what number three is? Carnival, Carnival. Corporation. That I wouldn't have guessed. Actually. Not, not, have missed not, that one. It's sandwiched it in between Tesla and Meta right. as the best-performing stocks. Actually getting an upgrade today as well, even after the tremendous run-up. Jeffrey says it's moved from being a, a good trade to a long-term investment. They like the new CEO, Josh Weinstein, who we spoke with this week on the quarter, some of his marketing moves, how he's flattened the organizational structure, and of course the surge in demand that we've seen for cruising. Uh, he thinks makes it a good play. Yeah, they mention oil as well. Um, fuel costs turning into a real tailwind, uh, uh, delivering, what, quarter of a billion sa uh, in savings annually in 23. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about headline sort of not being as important as core, but some of these declines in fuel on gasoline for the consumer and for companies that are heavy users is, is, is material. It's helpful, yeah. for sure. I was going to check the airlines as well today. Guys, If uh, traveling this week is brutal, I will just say. Not just me. Thousands of flights have been canceled. And I know the weather was, was not great and the thunderstorms are being blamed. The, the airlines are all up today. But there's some, there's some issues with the FAA. You know, the United Airlines CEO, Scott Kirby, pointing fingers at the FAA, saying they failed us, understaffing there led to more delays. I will say, and I took two flights this, this week, to and from Portugal. Both of them were delayed for several hours, and it wasn't because of weather, it was because of staffing issues, they said. They just, they couldn't get... On the, on the European side or the U.S. side? It, both. It happened in Lisbon and it happened in the U.S. 35,000 delays uh, since Saturday.
and 7,000 cancellations. I thought that the labor market was was getting a little looser and they were they were fully staffed with with flight attendants and pilots, but something's going on there, whether it's the FAA or the airlines or the weather. And we're going into this 4th of July weekend and it's not looking pretty. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> NVIDIA. What a note today out of Daiwa, which finally, after all this time, upgrades NVIDIA to outperform. Um, they say what we got massively wrong was how successful and important generative AI would be to the world. They were more concerned about sort of legacy enterprise spend. The com I mean, why not just give up, I, really? I, yeah. you know, what we got wrong was everything, everything. Yeah. everything. And we're bowing out. I mean, that's the honorable thing to do. I guess you got to keep printing. So now what, Carl? What you know? What are the legions of people who are going to be following them think now about yeah. their? They're going to raise their price targets. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. Probably. Of course they are. Um, I mean, Nvidia. There it is. Yeah, it's been staggering to watch that, and over a very short period of time, really, it's not even been the full half of uh, half of the year. It was really these last uh, number of months, in particular, when, as Carl said, we. Uh, We've gotten so enthused with the prospects for generative AI and what that's going to mean. Um, and in the second half of this year, we're going to be talking a lot more about it um, in terms of its use cases and the companies that are already at the forefront, of course, whether it be Microsoft uh, or Alphabet or Meta to some extent as well. As, as Sarah said, Apple doesn't come into that conversation as much, but behind it all, the only company that really is able to provide the, the chips that can power it in the data centers is NVIDIA. And there you see it. We, it all, a lot of it came, of course, after that incredible quarter where they upped their guidance by $4 billion, a number that very few of us have ever seen in terms of a guidance increase. AMD's had a, a nice run too, though. Yeah. They'll, they're seen as what, number two behind NVIDIA on, on AI? And, and now we're talking more about additional curbs on uh, imports into China. Uh, reports last night regarding the Dutch and ASML uh, maybe pairing with the United States to do a one-two punch uh, to restrict uh, the delivery of some high-performance chips. I did notice uh, today that the head of China's top memory maker warning about what he called turbulence and disorder in the chip market because they obviously are uh, behind the eight ball in supply. ASML, though, did say, like NVIDIA did earlier in the week, they don't expect material changes to their results because of this. Guys, I'm also watching Constellation Brands. This is the beer and, and wine maker. And a lot of people were watching this going in because we know that it, it's, it's Modelo, Especial, became the top-selling beer brand in the U.S. during the quarter uh, on some of the weakness in competitor Bud Light, losing that crown on all the, the political backlash as a result of working with uh, the, tra the transgender spokesman. Uh, there's Constellation versus Anheuser-Busch. The company beat estimates and beer was the bright spot. The beer sales grew 11% from the prior year, 7.5% increase in shipments. Modelo Especial, clearly the big winner there because the wine business was actually weaker than expected. Yeah. Um, I'd like to take a little time sort of delving back into antitrust law, if uh, everybody out there doesn't mind, uh, specific, of course, to the FTC's efforts to stop two deals, really, from happening. The first, as we've been reporting on every day, is their attempts to get a federal judge to issue a, an injunction to stop Microsoft's ability to buy Activision. And I'll also get to uh, some new news that we have on the government's attempts to prevent Amgen from buying Horizon Therapeutics. Uh, there's a look at, uh, at those stocks. As for the FTC versus Microsoft, trial's over. Um, we may hear from the judge. Again, I've said this a number of times. As soon as 
next week, it's possible. Uh, those in the courtroom in, in, believe, based on indications, and if you read the transcript, that she would like to have a, uh, a, a ruling out by, let's call it, the 7th of July, um, or something along those lines. Finds a fact in law, at least to do in court today. She'd like to get the unredacted versions out there at some point as well. Um, question will be, did the FTC really prove its case that this deal will be anti-competitive, that it will prevent people who use PlayStation, for example, from accessing Call of Duty? Who knew Call of Duty was such an incredibly important title, but apparently it is. Uh, and it's very much unclear the FTC was able to make that case. Again, if you talk to people who are both in the court who followed this trial very closely. Uh, yesterday, there was a good deal of back and forth between uh, Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley and the government. Um, she asked a, a lot of questions. Um, she beat them up here and there, although when it came to certain other areas, she seemed to sort of give be giving it to both sides in terms of uh, streaming and the cloud, where she sort of showed a more even uh, approach, I would argue. But, you know, again, when you had her saying things like, you got what you wanted, government, you, you know, uh, Bobby Kotick said, hey, we're going to allow, we're going to actually allow uh, this to be on other streamers, We've got an NVIDIA contract, contracts with Nintendo. Isn't that what you wanted? Um, you know, the government, of course, responding, no. But those may be seen as indicative of where she may end up ruling. Um, we, we will see. Uh, and of course, it's only one component or one part of Microsoft's continued efforts to get their deal to the finish line. The other, as I've said so many times, will end up in the UK, where uh, the Competition Appeal uh, Tribunal uh, will be hearing Microsoft's appeal of that CMA uh, interim order saying, no, you can't do the deal. We're worried about the cloud market. Um, yesterday, we did get a ruling from the Competition Appeal Tribunal that was pretty uh, heated in its, uh, that may be the wrong word, pretty strong in its language. Uh, against the CMA saying, hey, you wanted us to delay the hearing, we're not going to do it. Uh, and it may be worth a read if anybody has interest. Uh, what has gotten the attention of a number of people, though, specifically was on page 12. Let me read it to you because it goes to something else that we're trying to understand here in terms of what is going on between Microsoft and the CMA. It suggests that the CMA has much other work to do. A great deal of time is being spent by the CMA preparing for the final order consequent on the decision. What does that mean? Why is that important? Well, you had an interim order saying basically in one sentence, we're not going to let you do this deal. And there had been an expectation perhaps a final order would simply say the same thing. That appears not to be the case. The CMA saying to the tribunal, hey, we need to delay. Uh, because in part we're spending so much time on preparing a final order. Well, why would that be? Some people wonder. Uh, it, it, is it possible that there were additional offerings made by Microsoft uh, in their comment period, for example, that ended, let's call it, middle of, uh, of June? Uh, is it possible that the interim order will not be, the, or the final order will not be the same, that it might allow somehow for certain leeway for Microsoft to even close the deal? licensing, you know, you can come up with a lot of different things, but that has been uh, noted by people who obviously parse every single word of these documents as something worth being aware of, because it may point to some difference between the interim order and the final order and Microsoft's efforts to get it changed, giving it the leeway perhaps to even close 
the transaction while they still await uh, word from the uh, Competition Appeal Tribunal or wait for the hearing. Uh, all right, quickly on to Amgen and Horizon, or I'm happy to go somewhere else if you're getting tired of hearing me talk. Is that all right? Can we do this quickly? All right, thanks, guys. Never. Uh, uh, never, right? Because um, this has been another important case. Again, remember, this is all against the backdrop of the FTC being so aggressive in its pursuit of potential deals that it sees as anti-competitive and many saying, what are you doing? Well, Amgen responded to the ALJ. Uh, they came back with their complaints uh, or what they, their response to the complaints. And they, here's the quick things that are important. Amgen continues to stand ready to enter into a binding commitment which would fully resolve the FTC's hypothesized concerns of Amgen's bundling its products with these two drugs. Uh, avoiding further delay in delivering patient benefits. So they say, hey, we're willing to enter a consent decree right now because we have no intent of actually doing this. Uh, it's your concern. We're happy to meet it. No word on that, but that's important. And then they also, guys, go after the fact that the FTC failed to redact a lot of things in these documents and that states signed on even without realizing certain things had been unredacted and they just sort of call the FTC out for being frankly sloppy in terms of uh, allowing people to see things that were thought to have been privileged and or confidential uh, at the state level. So that's where we are on those two important antitrust cases. One, of course, has now been heard by a federal judge, the other still awaiting uh, a hearing. I was wondering why you weren't engaging with me on Powell, because you had a lot of antitrust stuff in and your head. it is hard to keep this stuff straight, Sarah. I'll be honest with you. Just what, where are the prices? Where, where so Activision is creeping back up. Yeah, 95, 95. Deal price. Horizon's what? Horizon's 129. Oh, I hope I remembered that properly. But yeah, Activision's only, you know, a little less than 10 bucks away from the $95 all cash. There is this belief that won't go away, that maybe was aided by that paragraph I shared, that somehow Microsoft's going to figure out a way to close this thing. Uh, again, that will depend on, of course, getting this judge, as many think is going to be the case, to say, no way, I'm not issuing an injunction. I don't think this is any competitive deal. Interesting, too, on the Amazon front. Amazon, month to date, is ahead of the S&P, 7% uh, gain. Uh, markets completely looking past whatever they have in store over at the FTC, right? I wonder, is the market considered con toothless or I you know, don't know? that. I, I, I mean, the, the FTC's complaints, again, Amazon will play out over such a long period of time. It's similar in the sense of the DOJ going after Alphabet. It doesn't seem to have near-term impact on these, on these stock prices, Carl, because it's such a long period. That said, I think, you know, if they lose Microsoft and if they lose, if they go to trial on Amgen Horizon and don't settle and lose that too, there's no doubt that that will have an impact. Uh, and perhaps be seen as a positive by the M&A market as, hey, you know what, it's going to be harder for them to keep coming with these cases when they keep losing. Losing in court. I'm just looking at the market. Every sector's higher right now. We're adding to gains on this final day of the month, quarter, half. S&P's now up more than 6% for the month to date, 6.2%, every sector higher. Yeah, you know, it's a, you know, breath is strong when even oil's catching a bit above 70. Uh, let's get some PMI with uh, Rick. Hey, Rick. Hi, yes, our June read on Chicago PMI. We always like to monitor this particular data point. It gives us some idea what national numbers may turn out to be. This one's a bit of a disappointment. We're expecting a read of around 43.7, 43.8, 41.5, 41.5. And 
if you look at the rear view mirror, it's still better than our final read last month, which was 40.4, and that was the lowest read since November when it was at 37.9. So it's a mixed blessing. It's definitely better than last month sequentially, but a disappointment. The market not moving a lot on this, and of course, uh, the rest of the important national numbers will be coming out on the 3rd. So we'll be, of course, looking to see if the similar trends, meaning it's better, but not as good as expected. Pretty much a lot like inflation numbers today as well. Now, don't change the remote on this channel because Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. Get you a live shot of the U.S. Supreme Court where we are awaiting some key decisions this morning, uh, particularly on the fate of the president's uh, student loan forgiveness plan. And we do expect to hear more from the court in about 10 minutes. Big implications if we get it on the consumer on a day where income and spending obviously top of mind. Uh, early session highs, Dow's up 200. Don't go anywhere. Ferrari's trading at an all-time high, surpassing Ford and GM in terms of market valuation. Our Robert Frank joins us this morning with more on a record one that I would argue some analysts did see coming. Yeah, looking, uh, living up to that ticker symbol, R-A-C-E. Ferrari shares hitting an all-time high this morning again, up more than 50% for the year. Its market cap now over $60 billion, making it worth more than Ford or GM. Ford GM, by the way, sell more than 4 million cars a year. Ferrari sells only 13,000. And the reason for that valuation, faster growth and bigger profits. The gross margin on a Ferrari is over 50%. That's more than twice that of Tesla, more like Louis Vuitton or Gucci than a car company. Ferrari's earnings grew 16% year uh, last year. Analysts expecting even stronger growth this year with the launch of several new models. Yesterday, they announced the 1,000 horsepower hybrid SF 90XX Stradale, zero to 60 in under two seconds, price tag over $800,000. And by the way, they're already sold out, so you can't get one. Now, if you walk into a Ferrari dealer today, try to buy any car, they start at $230,000, go into the millions, you're now looking at a three and a half year wait. So they've got a big bridge for any kind of slowdown. Try ordering their new SUV, the Puro Sangue. You can't even get one until after 2026. Now, unlike most cars, Ferraris actually gain value over time. That's the big attraction, mainly because of the demand far exceeding supply. They're also one of the few brands rolling slowly into the EV transition. Their first EV not expected until 2026. So it's not the EV craze or certainly the AI craze that's driving this stock. It's the margins on luxury and the fact that that high-end consumer is not showing any signs of slowing down. It's so interesting you made the comparison to Gucci or to high-end brands in terms of their margins. I guess that says it all. And that was the premise when they first went public here at the New York Stock Exchange. And I was skeptical because this is a car company and I thought the growth imperatives of Wall Street would cause a reduction in quality. They're gonna just skyrocket productions where it's not a great car anymore. They are producing twice the amount that they did when they first IPO'd, but the pricing, the quality, the, the demand is still there. Where's the demand from? Everywhere, the US by far their largest market, especially for that SUV. That SUV, they could sell three times the number that they're actually selling. And that's true across their brand. They could probably sell between 40 and 60,000 cars. They're only gonna make maybe 13, 14,000 this year. So that's, if there is a slowdown, they've got a three and a half year backlog that'll take them through whatever happens with the economy. And that's why, to your point, Carl, a lot of the analysts say, when you look at the auto sector, you're looking for safety 
any insurance policy against a slowdown, Ferrari is the top yeah, of that list. No, this was Morgan Stanley's top pick last year. Adam we Jonas. We were all sort yep. of shaking our heads. Um, Marketing-wise, is it a challenge to convince a performance-oriented driver to graduate to EV? Or not, because, I mean, they, they go fast. It's going to be a huge challenge. What does an EV Ferrari look like, sound like, feel like? And is it that much better than a Tesla Plaid that you're going to spend twice or three times as much? And so Ferrari is deliberately slowing that process. They're trying to lobby the EU to get biofuels approved so that they don't have to a- adhere to the same regulations. But if and when that day comes, that's what they're working. They're trying to maybe tune the sound of of an EV to sound like a Ferrari. How's that going to go? So that's going to be the big existential question going forward. They're not having such a good run in F1. Ownership uh, is is who? I mean, the key ownership. It's Exor uh, is the major shareholder, the the Agnelli family heirs. They're the the largest controlling voting share. And then, of course, it's publicly traded as investors have enjoyed. But they still have control. That's right. Uh, it's a great story, Robert. We'll see you in a bit. Thank you, guys. Uh, Robert Frank. Uh, close to session highs here as we're back in the hunt, or at least the bulls are, for 44.50. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 